We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast presented by FanDuel. It is Tuesday, November 7th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. And we welcome back an old friend, DJ Trainer, host of the Friday NBA podcast, has graciously given up an unknown amount of his time uh, to discuss the Eric Bledsoe trade with us. Uh, before we get into that, yesterday, as you guys are aware, as everybody listening is aware, Yesterday was Duran Lamb's 26th birthday. Mm. Uh, I don't know how old you guys are. Are you older than Duran Lamb? I'll be 26 in three days. So really? he's a little bit older than me. Interesting. Less than a week apart. What are the odds? That's how old crazy. are you? I'm 24. 24? Oh, okay. Great. So Duran Lamb is older than everybody in this room. That's great. Uh, I wanted to ask you I was a big Duran Lamb fan when he came out. Who wasn't? Um, had an explosive, brief but explosive career with the Milwaukee Bucks. Which burnout draft prospects? over the years have you irrationally loved and no matter what happened you were always like when they signed that 10-day deal in august you're like all right this might be the chance i was just talking earlier in the office about jorge gutierrez who used to play for the Bucks. great beard yeah great flow um i didn't you know i didn't follow him out of college or anything like that but i remember him playing for the bucks very briefly he was one of those guys that i just assumed was a foreign player and then you found out that he he played like four years at cal I think uh, see, I, didn't was, even know I just that. I just kind of assumed that they they brought him over from overseas because of the name, uh, but yeah, for a while, every time a Bucks player would get hurt, Gutierrez would come back for a week and a half, then they would <laughs> cut him, and then he'd be back later in the year, and then he would eventually sign for the rest of the year. Uh, what about you? Well, this isn't the prototypical answer you're looking for, but I still haven't gotten over Justin Hamilton, like like, like the white guy Justin. Hamilton? Yeah, the white guy Justin Hamilton, like the dude. Per 36 numbers for Justin Hamilton are, are really, really good. And I he's been my sleeper for like four or five years now. Uh, he's over in China, but, you know, I, I might still have him stashed away in one or two keeper leagues. So uh, Justin Hamilton is is my ride or die, the, the, the hill that I'll, you know, 
die on. I think that I have already. <laughs> I think that I've already died on that hill. But uh, he he's the one that will forever be okay. in my heart. Uh, I mean, Salim Stoudemire and AC Law were two guys. For oh, me. AC Law is a good one. They were both late lottery picks, and I was like, man, I can't believe these guys slipped where they did. Neither of them ever played more than like what forty games in a season, maybe. Uh, Xavier Henry, another guy. I'm still kind of. I don't think the book is fully closed on him. Devin Ebanks. Bill Walker, who now goes by Henry Walker, yeah. I believe. And Marshawn Brooks is probably the the queen bee out of all these guys. I actually looked him up today just to kind of see what he was up to, just a periodic check-in. He's playing on the same team in China as Miroslav Radulica. Oh, and Marshawn Brooks is averaging 38 points per game, <laughs> as you'd expect. He's averaging like eight rebounds, six assists, just tearing it up. He actually just beat Von Wafer's team in China on Sunday. So okay. that has been your Marshawn Brooks update. Let's talk Bledsoe. Um, this trade broke, what, around 9 a.m., I think, local time for us. Um, it was all over Twitter when we woke up this morning. So if you haven't heard, the Bucks are giving Greg Monroe a uh, protected first and a protected second to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Bledsoe. I'll run through the protections uh, on those picks quickly before we get into analysis. So this is pretty complicated as far as pick protections go. In 2018, so this upcoming draft in June, the pick is protected 1 through 10, and 17 through 30. So the Suns only get it if it lands 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, or 16. In 2019, it's protected 1 through 3 and 17 through 30. So the Suns only get it if it lands 4 through 16. And obviously, if the pick conveys in 2018, we don't worry about it. Uh, 2020, it's only top 7 protected. So 8 or later, it goes to Phoenix. And if the pick is still has still not conveyed by 2021, it becomes fully unprotected. So even by pick protection standards, this is pretty complicated. And I think it kind of works well for both sides. Like in the event that Giannis, I don't know, blows out his knee, God forbid, and the Bucks tank the rest of the way and, you know, get the fifth pick, they still make that pick. And in the event that Eric Bledsoe comes and the Bucks win the rest of the games this season and they have the 30th pick, then it also kind of prevents Phoenix from getting shafted with, you know, a late first rounder. So Basically, the goal, I think, for both sides is that this pick lands somewhere in the late lottery, early non-lottery, and I think both sides feel pretty good about that based on the protections. Reading between the lines here, um, what I think of when I think of all these protections is how does Sam Hinkie not have a job? Because that is that is completely influenced by the trades that Sam Hinkie made um, you know, when he was actually employed by an NBA front office. Um, so kudos to him um, reviewing this trade and probably every other trade that we talk about. It's going to be as complicated as this because it makes sense. Um, you have that little wedge of room where it seems most fair for the deal to actually go through and finalize. So kudos to Sam Hinkie. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a smart move as well. Um, like you said, I mean, I, I actually I do want to know how much time both sides spent like trying to figure out these exact, like if they were arguing over, no, what about 16 or 17? or what I think it, they were. I, I imagine that's kind of how that goes, right? Right, and how much analytics they were looking at trying to figure this all out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually do think it makes sense despite how strange it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I Based on the, I don't know if the protections really factor in, I guess, into how you evaluate the trade overall, but we knew Bledsoe was going to get traded. I think we maybe thought it was going to happen sooner based on how the situation shook out in Phoenix. But, you know, given that we've had a couple of weeks to think about this and now it's done, like, in retrospect, did, did the Suns get a good deal? Did they get more than you thought they would, less than you thought they would, about the same? Well, if you look on Twitter, nobody even knows the Suns were part of this deal. Um, immediately when it was announced this morning, it was all, oh, what a great deal. What a great right. deal. Oh, wow. They they shed the Monroe contract and now they offer up more minutes for Maker and Henson, a guy we've been talking about for five or 10 years. He's probably my answer to that question, by the way. It never really panned out. John, John Henson. Henson. Yeah, seriously. But he might get a, he might get his chance this year. So, um, I, I don't think people think Phoenix exists. Obviously, they were between a rock and a hard place here because they had little to no leverage. Um, but I do think you know th- this could end up being a good deal for them because Milwaukee's value moving forward is completely wrapped up in Giannis, and so there's you know there's just. W- there's not multiple safety nets here for the Bucks. It's it's just like it's just Giannis and that's it. So this could end up being a pretty good deal for Phoenix when all the dust has finally settled. It's just too early on their side to judge anything. We'll be able to judge the Bucks side within two weeks. 
Yeah, I mean, within two months, I think is probably a little more realistic. But yeah, I mean, we don't know. I think the bigger thing is like, where is Bledsoe conditioning wise? Like he's been working out at Arizona State, but as you've, as we've seen, the whole you know, league takes, you though, need to play right a game now. Or two. The whole like the Warriors aren't even conditioned yet. I'm not worried about his conditioning as much. I mean, he'll get there. I'm just saying immediately. You know, like we might it might take more than a couple of weeks to really see how this fits. But I have seen. You know, you mentioned they're able to dump Greg Monroe, and I I don't know that that's necessarily what this is. At least from the Bucks' perspective, I think it's pretty clear that the Suns value just getting off of Eric Bledsoe's money and getting a guy on Monroe. Like they could have had their choice in theory of Monroe, Toledovich, Delavadova maybe Henson if the Bucks are willing to include him. I would think that they would rather trade Henson than Monroe, but they took the guy, the only guy of those of those four who has, you know, expires this summer. So I think their their motive there is just getting that money off the books. I don't think the Bucks were, you know, rushing Greg Monroe out the door by any means. I don't, I don't think they feel really good about parting with a guy who was what, top 5 in six man of the year voting last year. Like he's a, a big part of that team and they've struggled this last week and a half when he's been out. Yeah, I mean Monroe you know he coming off the bench it he basically is like a starter coming off the bench i think malcolm brogdon said that um today when they kind of interviewed him about the trade he had a really high he has a really high usage rate or i guess dig with the bucks um struggling to find it right now 24 last year so i mean they kind of ran the offense through him at the elbow he passed a lot he was a pretty good source of post-up scoring because the bucks do kind of lack like an iso player necessarily or a lot of great pick and roll threats which they have now mm-hmm. so i don't think the the loss of monroe will hurt them as much right and i, I think for him it's not like he had years remaining you know like money right. wise the bucks weren't gonna in theory re-sign him for anything more than market value next year you know and if anything it would be like a two for ten type of deal something like that so i don't know that the the money was a motivation for them to get rid of monroe because the money was going to come off the books anyway um but now it puts phoenix in a weird spot too with tyson chandler who's been starting and playing 25 minutes a game you still have alex len you still have bender and chris both guys who maybe profile as as small ball centers long term and now you have monroe for the rest of the year i mean you you have to play him you would think but this could very easily turn into a situation that we saw in phoenix last year where veterans are basically in and out of the lineup mostly out of the lineup on a game-to-game basis after the all-star break do you think they'll try to trade tyson chandler now be- i wouldn't be surprised i mean i i, I don't know what he what does he, he make money-wise uh, kind of a lot right 13 million yeah. and he's on the books this year and next year mm. but if they're trying to get rid of money if they if they keep monroe he'll be off the books right. and then if they trade chandler who only has basically two years left on his <laughs> deal um that would that would, they could probably get maybe a pick back for him or another kind of situation where they Mm-hmm. don't take on a lot of money and i think i mean chandler he's not as good as he used to be obviously but you put him on you know kind of like that that those fringe like six seed five seed teams right. like if if you know if they sent him to the bucks that'd be a pretty significant mm-hmm. like we'd be talking about this deal i think in a bigger way than we would have before well you do wonder i mean they could they, i don't know if they could really buy out chandler the way that that money works probably not but monroe is somebody you know maybe you buy out at the deadline yeah. later in the year and you know i think you and i were talking earlier like washington would be a spot for for monroe and then they need anybody really boston too boston maybe. sure okay um, see i think i mean there's a lot of teams that would take greg monroe especially as a half season rental like that's probably how 25 out of 30 teams would prefer to have him rather than have him under you know a full contract yeah i think the thunder is a great landing spot for monroe because if you look at steven adams minutes he's you know having one of his best statistical seasons but that's coming at the price of him playing more minutes than he's ever had to play before um which you know he's still a young guy but i, I don't think that's really good it's just really not a good strategy to have any of your big guys playing that many minutes so um me and all the other fans that's out there thunder fans out there are hoping that he can hold up but greg monroe seems like a good landing place the other thing about tyson Chandler just to jump in on that conversation is that it always seems like a contending team is looking for a rim protector for like the final third of the season or like Mm -hmm. you know so uh, his value you know might just be flat right now uh, but once teams figure out that oh wow we can actually make the playoffs and some of those Eastern Conference teams might say oh wow we could be the four or five seed um, we need to go get a rim protector Tyson Chandler is going to be kind of that glaring light out there because the Suns obviously have no reason to keep him any longer than tomorrow if he was a free agent this coming summer I think for sure he gets traded. right. I mean, I don't even think it would be a question. But that, I mean, I just don't know what team is willing to swallow fourteen million 
you know, for a 36-year-old next season. I think that's really daunting for for a lot of teams. So what I want to talk about before I get out of here, guys, is you two know better than anybody else of what this rotation could look like for the Bucs. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong based on what you're seeing and what you think, is that essentially Tony Snell is going to start fall out of the starting lineup um, and have minutes cut a little bit, but Malcolm Brogdon could also have minutes cut. Uh, Della Vadova seems like the true loser here, where it doesn't really make sense to have him in the rotation whatsoever. Does that seem like a fair breakdown, Alex? Yeah, I actually think that Snell may stay in the starting lineup um, because then you can bring Brogdon off the bench and have that ball handler right off the bench again. Because I think if you have Bledsoe and, and Brogdon in the lineup together, you may... I. At that point, who do you have off the bench that's really handling the ball? I'm not really sure. I think I'd like to see Bledsoe's and Giannis's minutes staggered, um, where like Bledsoe comes out after like seven minutes into the first quarter, and then he comes back in once Giannis comes out after playing the full first quarter, where you always have a ball handler. But it, you know, it, it does make sense because Tony Snell is not going to bring the ball up, and then you know you talked about usage rate with Greg Monroe not there. He's not. He, you can't just give him the ball, let him go to work, and initiate the second offense. So they need to recreate or reimagine a new second offense. And to me, it seems like they should totally run that through Bledsoe and, and stagger minutes accordingly yeah I think you start Bledsoe and then you know when, I mean half the games Giannis picks up two fouls in the first five minutes anyway <laughs> and like that's I mean that's really been the issue for them is they've been fine they're a you know they're a, a positive differential team in the minutes that Giannis is on the floor but they're I want to say minus minus 18 per 100 possessions when Giannis is off the floor like they're not it's not like it's really close they're just getting annihilated when he's not on the floor and the big reason for that one like you, you know you did a nice job of breaking down what Monroe does for them. He's been out, so they have no offense on the second unit if Giannis isn't on the floor. And, yeah, I think they're going to stagger Bledsoe with Giannis as much as they can. Um, I think, you know, well, who do they close with, I guess? Three minutes left in a tie game. You go Bledsoe. I think Brogdon's on the bench. Giannis, Snell, Henson. I mean, I think you could go Brogdon, take Henson out for offense and play Giannis as a five. Oh, I, I think the hope is that Thon is out there at some point, right? Like yeah, maybe at I, some point in the season he would fit into that crunch time lineup. So I know he hasn't, but, you know, he's still young. The hope would be that he would be the easy answer, right? That you would right. name him one or two when you're listing off those names right. and not saying him or Henson. So maybe at some point he can be that guy. But, I, you know, Brogdon's awesome. He, he's, he's proven himself well, but I, I'm not so certain that, you know, he might be outside of the crunch time rotation. Mm-hmm. All right, so to wrap this up, um, where does this put the Bucks now in the East hierarchy? You know, if you if you thought they were, you know, team number X in the East yesterday, where are they now? I still peg them as like three or four. Um, I and that'll be interesting actually when Jabari Parker comes back because I think he's still set to come back this year, maybe like yeah. late February, February something like early that. February. I think is what we have on the website right now. Not that that's meaningful whatsoever, but uh, I rotowire.com slash basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once once that happens, I think, I mean, if the Bucks can, like, basically just get home court advantage for the playoffs, and I think that's very possible, mm-hmm. you know, fourth seed, I don't think is out of the question. Like, there's, they haven't been playing well as of late. Um, some pretty glaring issues, like you said, when Giannis doesn't play, I, it's it's bad. Like, Chris Middleton can only ISO so many times in a possession and be efficient, so. If the Bucks were 7-3 and three right now, as opposed to 4-5, and five, as we record this on this Tuesday morning, do you think they would have even considered making this trade or made yes. the trade at all? I think so. Yeah. If they were humming yeah. along just fine, all parts were moving, and and they're like, you know, the best free agent we could possibly add is Jabari Parker in February when he gets healthy. You don't think they would have been more in that mindset? I think for what they had to give up, they would do the steal. If it if they had had, sure. to, had, had included Brogdon or hadn't got the protections on that first round pick, maybe you double, you know, you think twice about it. But I think for this deal. It's somewhat of a of a no brainer to me. With Bledsoe being under contract for next year, I just don't. There's just not that much risk. So I think the Bucks improve and and get back up to our preseason expectations mm-hmm. with this addition, if and only if minutes are staggered. Because if 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 the minutes overlap and Giannis and Bledsoe spend the next 30, 35 games trying to figure out how to play together the most efficiently, then that's trouble. I, I say don't even really worry about that too much. Just give them each their own offense and then they'll figure out, you know, that what, 10 to 15 minutes in between when they're both on the court. Um, if and only if uh, that, that happens, do I see the Bucks uh, re- resuming um, the expectations we had for them coming into the season? 
Yeah, and that, that actually reminds me. I have a tweet pulled up um, from Synergy Sports. Uh, since the start of last season, Bledsoe has scored one point per possession handling the pick and roll, which ranks fifth in the NBA. So I think that's really good for them because, like you and and like you mentioned, if we can get Giannis on the court, you know he can do. Obviously, he's he's incredible by himself. He doesn't necessarily, you know, need a lot of help while he's in the lineup. He can ISO score to some extent, but then when he's on the bench. That's when yep. the Bucks needed Greg Monroe, and now I mean Bledsoe is clearly a probably a more reliable source of offense in the modern NBA than mm-hmm. uh, Greg Monroe um, was for right. the Bucks. And, I, and they don't need this to be a Harden Paul situation no. where you you don't expect there to be a drop off. You know they're so good with Giannis in the lineup that it's, you can kind of throw whoever else you want around him, and you're going to stay afloat. They just need to not, you know go you know let another team go on a 13 to 2 run as soon as Giannis comes out of the game like if Bledsoe can just make that a 6 to 2 run instead of a 13 to 2 run like they'll be fine they're not going to ask Bledsoe to carry this team by any means they did I think they just needed a massive upgrade in terms of secondary playmaking like you can't you can't look in the mirror and say we think we could maybe go to the Eastern Conference Mm -hmm. Finals with Chris Middleton as your second best player Greg Monroe as Maybe your third best player, Tony Snell. You know, like it's just it's just not as good as Giannis is. It's just really not feasible. Last thing I'll say before I get out of here, fellas, is that I think neither of us fall in the Bledsoe is underrated or overrated camp. I, I'm assuming that we all He's fall in there. We just we haven't we haven't seen him in a long time. So I, I don't even want to say anything like that. Everybody on Twitter immediately saying He's overrated. Don't like the deal. Or he's, he's super underrated. I can't believe that's all they gave up for him. For me, it's like I haven't seen this guy like play legitimately in a year, and I haven't seen him play on a good team since like 2012, 2013. Like who knows how efficient he could be uh, when he's got really good players around him. So I don't even want to make a deck declaration underrated overrated i just haven't seen him play when it matters in a very long time i think that's good for for blood so like I, I don't you know we don't like trying to read into player motivations and things like that but when you've spent the last what two plus years of your career just kind of in purgatory he wasn't even hurt for most of last year was being sat out like i think that mindset you would think would wear on a player after a while and then going from that going you know last two weeks really hasn't been around an nba team hasn't been at an nba facility you're thrust right into a situation where you're expected to help a team that's a, you know that's going to be a four or five seed in the East. I think motivation-wise, that that really shouldn't be an issue for Bledsoe. Yeah, you're dancing around in it. We don't have to think that it wears on a play. We know. He tweeted out, I don't want to be here. Like We well, know that it, that it has. Could have been about anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, before you leave, Thunder assessment. What is wrong with Thunder? As with all teams that come together with new pivotal players I give them at least 30 games into the season before I'm going to actively judge them for how good or how bad they are right Bucks get two weeks Bucks Thunder get two get Bucks, get, <laughs> Bucks and Bledsoe get two weeks everybody else so I, I'm not going to come down hard on anything I will say there have been some flashes of unselfishness that I really enjoy watching that's something that I've never ever said in the same sentence uh, with Carmelo Anthony before so I just think that's fun to watch um, and I like that you know Russell has shown it within his ability to step back and not have to go out there and feel like he needs to score 30 points because to be honest with you you know that mentality was there even when KD was there to to his own fault to the point where you know people watching Thunder games would say Russ you need to let KD take you know like at least 50% of the crunch time shot so I'm seeing something out of Russ this season that I've never even seen even when KD and James Harden were there did you watch the game against Boston on Friday a little bit of it, not the whole thing. I I was watching the first half, and then mid third quarter they went up, I think close to twenty, and I kind of turned away, didn't oh. look until the game ended. Obviously, the Celtics. I did the same exact point. thing. Oh, okay, I was gonna. Ask and I and I flipped it back on after receiving about five text messages from Ken Kreitz. Oh, oh no! <laughs> yeah, no, I know. He said, "How is this happening? What is going on?" I think there was one message that was only exclamation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the same thing sure. where it seemed like, "All right, this one's kind of in hand." Yep. And now the Celtics not only won that, but they're like winning nine straight games. Nine I in believe. a row, pretty crazy. Boston Celtics. Uh, all right, if you want to hop out, we'll we'll talk Celtics unless you have the time to stick around. Always a pleasure, fellas. I got some uh, interns to train. Oh yeah, all right. get the hell out of here. <laughs> Okay, let's take a quick break so I can tell the listeners about SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're planning a day out with friends, searching for a last-minute deal, or buying a gift for a loved one, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. 
Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will help you get closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the best bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And it doesn't end with sports. SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available as well. Best of all, new users get $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter our promo code ROTONBA, that's promo code ROTO, R-O-T-O-N-B-A, that will give you $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. See you live with SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. All right, so the Boston Celtics have won nine straight games after coming back, winning in overtime uh, in Atlanta on Monday, a game in which Kyrie Irving was receiving MVP chants on the road. Uh, that's where we're at right now. Kyrie Irving is the best player on the best team in the NBA, the only team with fewer than three losses uh, are the 9-2 and two Boston Celtics. Kyrie's been really good. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from Kyrie Irving. He defensively seems to have stepped it up. He's leading the NBA in steals, uh, although I think you and I both know that can be a little bit of a fickle way to determine who is a good defender and who is not. Uh, but still, I mean, one one full steal per game more than he averaged last season. So certainly not a negative statistic to have in your favor, but he's only shooting 35% from three, 46% from the field, which is, which is fine. But by Kyrie standards, you know, not great. I think both of those numbers could easily rise. He's averaging three fewer points per game than last year, right about uh, uh, the same in terms of assists and rebounds. So Kyrie's been good. Again, he's been very good, but he hasn't been transcendent. I think I would argue that this start is equally credited to how NBA ready uh, one Jason Tatum is and how ready to kind of step into a bigger role Jalen Brown has been. Uh, Jalen Brown shooting 30% from three, Jason Tatum shooting 53% from three. Uh, I've I've read or heard somewhere this morning that Horford, Tatum, and Brown are combining to shoot like 51% from three during this nine-game win streak. So again, Kyrie's been a big part of it. He's been the engine for this team, but everyone around him shooting the lights out certainly hasn't hurt yeah i mean i assume there's going to be some regression coming at some point there has to be but everyone is i mean it, it's crazy to me that you know when Gor- when gorgon hayward went down i think that was the first time that i really looked at the team's depth chart and realized like this team is like rookies like after yeah. their top five you know players it was basically just a, a team of second year players and, and first year guys and um now i this the trade that the Celtics made with the 76ers to get Jason Tatum looks like like a home run right now and not that it you know long term it may balance out depending on how Markel Fultz does but I mean yeah the Gorgon Hayward getting hurt I don't want to say it was a good thing for the Celtics you never want to say that necessarily but long term I mean there's a lot of guys here showing that they're very legitimate players um, not only on offense but on defenses which is where rookies generally struggle and I'm looking at um their team's defensive numbers right now they're ranked first in allowing or the lowest effective field goal percentage of other teams um they're they're actually rebounding really well this year they're fourth in defensive rebounding rate which was a significant problem for them last season and a lot of that um i'm going to give a shout out to al horford here 9.2 rebounds a game which is i think like almost three more a game um than than he he had last season lopez quietly uh, in that regard the last couple years but yeah i mean they're first in points allowed they're first in defensive rating they play they play at a slow pace which helps the the points allowed number but defensively um 98.2 points per 100 possessions allowed for a team with Kyrie irving at point guard really really good um if there was any doubt that Kyrie would buy in to brad stevens that's been erased he's been very overt about his love for brad stevens uh (laughs) almost to a fault you could argue but no, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch this team. It's fun to watch Kyrie in an environment where he's able to just kind of be himself and able to take over like he did in overtime last night, and there isn't the specter of LeBron hanging over him. Um, it's just it's just been a lot of fun, and, and I really hope that I – mean, I think there's we're, we're still on a crash course, right, for these two teams. I think Washington right. is going to have a say in it, you know, when it's all said and done. Who knows with Milwaukee after this deal – but no matter what happens in Cleveland and what happens in Boston, those are the two teams, as long as they both make the playoff field, um, that everybody, I think, is still going to expect to meet in the conference finals. 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, clearly, I mean, not that anyone had many doubts before, but Brad Stevens is proving himself as like a, an amazing coach that he can do this with with essentially an entirely new roster. Right. Um, and they made some pretty, you know, I I guess one or uh, underrated move. I mean, getting Marcus Morris that that kind of is still to be determined well, a little bit. Only, that's the other thing too. He's only played one game. You know, I mean, they yeah, they could could conceivably be better. Right. Once Marcus Morris is back, you at least have some depth. You probably that means less Gershon Yabusele, <laughs> less Semi Ojale, less Abdul Nader. I mean, these are all human people who are playing minutes for the best team in the NBA right now. Thank you for pronouncing those names for me. Um, I'm going to avoid them for the rest of the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, Marcus Morris isn't afraid to take shots. Um, he he did so a lot in uh, in Detroit, and Aaron Baines has looked solid as well. Um, they they did need some um, I guess some strength on the front line there, but. Yeah, I mean, it I don't I don't know if the Celtics will, you know, remain the number 1 team in the East. Obviously the the Cavaliers are probably going to have something to say about that long term. Um, but it it really feels like every team in the East has a pretty glaring weakness somewhere. Um and it's usually depth. Um and it ironically the team that has the least issues with depth, the Cavaliers, they they're they don't play well together, the guys right. that they do have um so i think the east is kind of still it's to some extent like anybody's anybody's game right now um but yeah i mean the celtics are the right now mm-hmm. um look like the most like put together um team that that right. feels most comfortable when you throw the ball out so there's this belief that cleveland can rip off 15 wins in a row whenever they need to and i'm not saying that's not true because we saw them roll through the east playoffs again last year when you know the second half of their regular season basically looked like the first few weeks of this season and everything was just fine when it needed to be but at what point does it need to be like you know do we really believe that they're hearing all this noise about how terrible they are how nobody can play together how the defense is you know the worst in the nba and then you come out and lose to the hawks like is there really that much of a motivational issue for this team i i think i don't think they're they're just not trying hard enough to win these games i think they actually want to win and it's kind of jarring that the switch that they thought they could flip in the past all of a sudden isn't working like it used to. Yeah, I at this point, I think the only person, the, the, I think the, the problem is the only person who can sw- uh, flip a switch on the Cavs is LeBron James. And we saw him do that against the Wizards, but then he basically tired himself out for the next game, which I, was that a back-to-back against Atlanta? Did that happen the next day? It was Washington and then Atlanta. I don't know mm-hmm. if that was a back-to-back. But that may have been kind of a hangover game because you know lebron went out scored 50 some odd points i think it was friday sunday but yeah okay yeah and and so yeah maybe they can flip a switch but if we're talking about that being lebron james how many days and how many games in a row can lebron james like theoretically carry this team and so that's the problem is like i mean it's going on like what 200 plus at this point yeah and you just you can try and say you can flip a switch whenever you want but Mm -hmm. if you're relying on just one dude and you have plenty of guys like you have Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. I, you know, nobody talks about Kevin Love flipping a switch. Nobody talks about J.R. Smith flipping the switch. Dwayne Wade. I don't even. It feels There's like no he's not switch even, anymore. Yeah, it Dwayne doesn't Wade. even feel like he's on this team right now. Right. Um, I, my belief has always been that LeBron sees other other star players in situations and and thinks to himself like, how have I never been in this situation? I think he. I don't think he hates the Warriors. I don't think he dislikes Steph all that much or Draymond. I think he's jealous of that situation. Like I think he wants to be in Steph Curry's position where Steph Curry can go to three straight finals, win two of those finals, not even receive a single finals MVP vote, and yet the team just cruises to two victories. You know, Not that LeBron doesn't want the finals MVP. Obviously, he does. But I think he envies these other superstars who can take a night off and things don't you know, come crashing down like they do every single time for the Cavs. Yeah. And I think he's seen that with Golden State, and that's worn on him. I think he's seen that with San Antonio when Kawhi sits, and they still start out like they always do. And I think now he's seeing it with Kyrie in Boston, where he looks at Kyrie and says, this guy's doing the exact same thing he was for us last year. And now he has these guys around him who are shooting 50% as rookies from the floor. And my, you know, my guy, J.R. Smith, who I brought in to do that, is shooting 20% from three. Like, I think he's just like, why can't I be in a situation like this for once? The thing is, all those teams you mentioned have amazing coaches, right? And who's been I, LeBron's best coach ever? Spolstra, right? Yeah, I I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, Spolstra is Spolstra clearly is an amazing coach. coach. Yeah. Like he he's. I don't think LeBron realized that until later, though. 
No, I don't think so either. And I think, I mean, even, I mean, I, to some extent, I think a lot of other people are underrating Spolstra because they're, oh, you know, who couldn't, you know, who couldn't take LeBron James, Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade to, you know, five, six, yep. however many finals. But now we're, you know, with the roster that the Heat have this year and they had last year, how good of a coach Spolstra actually is. But yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the Cavs basically kicked David Blatt out a few years back. Um, and before, I think they really gave him a legitimate chance, um, depending on, you know, whether you think David Blatt would have worked out long term. But really, you know, like you said, all those all those teams, they have great coaches, the teams that can win when their superstar stit, uh, sits and takes a night off. And I'm not sure Tyrone Liu is that guy and will ever be that guy. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that LeBron is necessarily – maybe that – I mean, LeBron hasn't had strong coaches maybe because LeBron – He's kind of scares coach. them off. Yeah. No, I agree. I think he, I think LeBron knows that. And I think he's waiting for a coach to come along that he deems like worthy of his <laughs> basketball respect. I, I seriously true, believe though. that. No, and yeah. I think he's mentioned pop so many times over the years, whether it's related to the Spurs or whether it's related to USA basketball. I do not think LeBron and landing in San Antonio next summer is out of the question. I think, no. I think he's to the point where he might just be fed up and like there's, there are, two or three coaches in the NBA that he respects and nobody that he respects more than pop. And I think that's going to weigh more heavily, you know, in his decision-making than, than people think. So, I mean, if you're talking about LeBron's future now, which was beat to death over the summer and really hasn't been brought up all that much in the early goings of the season, because there's been so much else to talk about, but Mm -hmm. could this have gone any worse for Cleveland? If you're trying to keep LeBron James, like this first three weeks, it's been a complete disaster. It's, it's been really bad. And, um, do you I don't know because this roster is pretty as far as the contracts go this team is pretty set for the next couple of years right I mean if LeBron in, were to they're stay in better shape than they were the last couple of years due in large part to the fact that they have the Brooklyn pick every team that LeBron's played on since he left Cleveland and really every team that he's ever played on because Cleveland never had any assets has been cleaned house for LeBron and his you know his guys to come in we saw that with Miami they didn't get any better all they all they could do every year was just pick up whatever 37 year old right. was available whether it was Ray Allen or Rashard Lewis or Birdman and those guys ended up playing major minutes for those teams so yeah I mean the fact that you have that Brooklyn pick sitting there as an asset is, is interesting but you still have some bad contracts bad contracts know? and I think a lot of these guys I mean I I thought it's a problem kind of since the beginning the Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson and LeBron James together LeBron and Love almost play the same position at this point. Tristan Thompson, I don't think, is a max player. He's playing, you know, before he got hurt, he was playing, what, like 20 minutes a game? Right. Like, I don't care how good you are at offensive rebounding. Unless you're literally a transcendent offensive rebounder, you're probably not worth a max contract. He doesn't know what hand he shoots with. He changed it, like, He's neither-handed. He's neither-handed. I think there's just kind of a problem with the construction of the team overall. And so I think if... You know, maybe if LeBron wants to stay there long term, it really just ends up being a situation where they do like have to kind of blow it up to some extent and try to make some major trade. But I just don't know who's taking on some of these contracts. The the problem is none of these guys that he's brought in, none of their values have appreciated since they got to Cleveland. No, you know, I mean, part part of it's due to age. Kyle Korver's what thirty six. You know, he's he is what he is at this point. Jr. Weirdly enough, it's getting up there in age. Like he'll forever be like twenty five to me. But <laughs> I mean, he's what he's what thirty, thirty one. I can look it up. I don't even like to think about that. Yeah, please do. Kevin Love. When we were talking about potential Kevin Love trades this summer, you weren't getting anybody back the caliber of Kevin Love, or at least what you thought you were getting in Kevin Love back in twenty fourteen. Uh, Shumpert. I mean, he's he's a guy that would be, you know, a DMP CD for half the teams in the league most nights. So I, I think that's been an issue too. There. You know, there are guys. There are guys have played well in certain spots alongside LeBron, um, but you know, you haven't. None of the, none of these role players that they brought in have turned into their version of Andre Iguodala. No, um, especially not thirty-two-year-old J.R. Smith. Um, yeah, Ooh, it's oh, it's crazy. Lord. Um, but no, yeah, and a lot of these guys, especially this year, I think it's it's interesting. A lot of like guys like J.R. Smith, who they they kind of brought in to be like, hey, we can kind of not to say save your career, but like we want to, you know, we think you're really talented. We will we'll play you a lot of minutes. You'll do a great job. His role is being minimized now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, you know, chemistry wise, that can't be good. Um, same with the Tristan Thompson situation with Kevin Love starting for a bit there. Right. Um, it, 
it i just i don't like the construction of i mean like they have so much talent and that's what i think that's what bothers me the most about I think this that's Cavs what team. bothers lebron too I, it would it would really bother me too if my team had that much like just just pure skill and was just underperforming like this um so i don't you know when the time comes for lebron to make a decision it right. it like you said it would not surprise me if he decided to to move on somewhere else Right. And a lot of the problems with this Cavs organization are a product of having LeBron and all that he entails as a player slash part-time general manager. You know, I mean, like, we can't pretend that the Cavs are operating on a level playing field with a lot of these other teams. But again, I think he looks at the Warriors and says, okay, this team is hit on, it seems like, every draft pick of the last yep. five years. So not only are you adding Andre Godal in free agency, you're adding Kevin Durant, you know, you hit on the Draymond pick, who's a second rounder. Yeah. You hit on McCaw. You hit on Ian Clark. You you they you know not only are they talented at the top, they also have like this farm system running where it's just feeding their bench. And and I think the Cavs have been the opposite of that in every way. Partially because they've traded away a lot of their picks. But, they have. You know you you swing and miss on Kay Felder. Joe Harris was playing minutes for this team last year. Like there's there's been no internal development. It seems. That's that's very true. And it's weird. It's interesting to me to think about the Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins trade in retrospect. It's hard to. I can't say it was a bad move because they they won a championship, right? With, because of Kevin Love being on the team. But now, longer term, I do wonder if keeping Andrew Wiggins would have been better. Um, I'm not sure how. Yeah, obviously, we're playing a huge what if game at that point. Right. But it does seem like the Cavaliers need need a wing player rather than more bigs at this point. And um, Jeff Green. He, well, I don't need a wing. What are you talking that's, about? It's alarming how accurate that is. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I did. No, that's a good point. I mean, the Wiggins thing is is so tough because like every time you think Wiggins is about to break through, he kind of takes a step back. So like, if Andrew Wiggins was just a little bit better, it would be pretty easy to say they should have kept him. But he's been just shaky enough that that and Love's been fine, you know. And like you said, the title vindicates everything. So it really it's going to be kind of a moot point in the long term. Yeah, the thing is though, I mean, if, but yeah, Wiggins, it's, his development's been like kind of not exactly what people expected. Mm. But if you think about putting him just next to lebron james we might not be talking about about him in that way if right. we put the you know 22 point per game andrew wiggins next to lebron james yeah. and have him focus a lot more on defense and they're just you know well i think if you you know in this situation that we're imagining you know we're sitting here in in november 2017 and instead of having kevin love as your number two you have 22 year old andrew wiggins who you have long term and if you're talking about keeping lebron i think you pitching him the development of Andrew Wiggins right. over heck, Kevin Love might get a little bit better these <laughs> next couple of years, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a debate that we could really have uh, forever. Fantasy basketball fans. Basketball is back, which means FanDuel is back. It's fantasy basketball for everyday fans with new contests starting every day. That means no busted seasons. There's something for everyone on FanDuel, tons of contests to choose from. They start at just $1. All you have to do is pick a contest, select your players, and watch your score pile up in real time. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com RW. You'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription with your first deposit on FanDuel. Again, just visit FanDuel.com RW. Void where prohibited. Do we have to talk about Porzingis? Do we have to talk about Drummond shooting well, the Timberwolves playing well all of a sudden? Um, I mean, Porzingis to me is interesting just because he's taking so many shots more than he was last season and has sacrificed no efficiency. Yeah. And he's looking – it's it's at the point where he looks like he's realized, like, wait, I'm seven foot three, I can just shoot over anybody. Yep and now it's coming to fruition where he's taking i i don't have it exactly in front of me like 22 shots a game he's actually taking fewer threes per game which to me it speaks to how often he was just standing around watching Melo last year yeah um i mean it's close it's he's almost the same per game but slightly fewer and i i've i've, I've watched a lot of his highlights and it's amazing how much the garden just is they, they go nuts whenever mm-hmm. porzingis is happening like this and it's one of those things where it's like i, I understand that they were hesitant I want to say hesitant to trade Carmelo Anthony, but there's always the worry that like you trade your star player and if things don't work out well and the team is bad, that people, I don't, I honestly do not think the fans who come to Knicks games care if this team wins 15 games. 
as long as Porzingis looks awesome, they'll they'll be there and they'll be cheering, and it's it, it's it is really exciting to watch. No, count me among the doubters. I did. I mean, I thought obviously I like Porzingis. Everyone likes Porzingis as a prospect, but I would have taken so far under on you know av- is he averaging thirty points a game after nine games? Like I'd never in my mind did I think that he was really capable of having that second gear, mm-hmm. and it's kind of proven true that the, you know the theory that Mello was stunting his development in some ways it, you know maybe that's a pretty harsh assessment to throw on Mello but I mean the way that Porzingis is playing and they're winning basketball games too I mean at a reasonable rate for the New York Knicks I mean what are they like five, five and, and four, four? Yeah. yeah I mean I don't know that this team is five and four if they have Carmelo Anthony and they just run it back with most of last year's roster I don't think so no this is it, it's really interesting right now in the NBA we're talking about a lot of these surprise teams like the Knicks the Magic the Pacers these are teams that are, like have not necessarily the magic, but a lot of these teams that have lost star players play well. Like they they just play as a team and they play well and they exceed expectations. And I don't want to say stars are overrated or we're realizing stars might be overrated, but there's a certain type of player that I think, you know, like maybe it's maybe it's the Carmelos of the world um, that don't necessarily like help your team as as much as you think they do despite scoring 25 points a game on like 46 percent shooting um basketball is still at the end of the day a team game and if you can play well as a team you always have a chance Mm -hmm. to win games and the knicks you know i mean Przingis is (laughs) taking 22 shots a game or whatever so it's not he should be he should be be taking more should be taking 42 shots a game what is his long-term projection like you look at the rest of the averages about eight rebounds which to me i know he spends a lot of time on the perimeter but he's seven three and he's an insane athlete like he should be a 10 rebound a game guy pretty easily when you're playing 34 minutes uh but still i mean you'll live with eight boards a game only one assist per game you know he's not someone you look at and say you know he has the ben simmons passing gene by any right. means but he's not a bad passer he's a willing passer he's someone who's able to play make off the dribble you know we've seen it in flashes before but when we fast forward five years, you know, and he continues on this path that he's on now, is he like a is he more more Dirk like, or does he become more of a Demarcus Cousins guy long term? Where all of a sudden Cousins is like top ten in the league in assists, and he's blocking shots, and he's you know twelve rebounds a game. Like, where is his developmental path right now? I still like him long term as a center. Um, if he bulks up, like I understand there's hesitation with him bulking up. He may not want to do that. I've right. heard he doesn't want to play center. And there's, I mean, there's mismatches wherever you play him. I mean, it you could play him at small forward. It'd probably right. work fine. I think what that's more about is who's on the court with him, right? Like right. all that, all that comes down to is, is he playing with someone else who can guard the other team center? Yeah. yeah. And you, you, I mean, that's something you can, that you have plenty of time to figure that out. Right. You and know. it's a, it's more of a personnel thing, I think, than anything else. Yeah. Um, I that 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 is a tough question but I think what he's doing right now as far as not you know his basic kind of an archetype as a player like he's mainly a scorer yeah. pretty solid defender maybe not as good of a rebounder as we would hope I I think that's fine cuz because he like do you think he could average I mean I think him averaging 30 points a game for an entire season at some point in his career is not crazy it might be this season it might be this season yeah no i think that's totally reasonable i i don't know what precedent i'll have to look this up if there even is a precedent for a player who could average 30 points eight boards two blocks and also like two made threes a game you know like i think the closest without looking i would guess is dirk but obviously dirk never was a shot blocker by any means it's it's kind of a new type of player it is a new type of player it's like i if Anthony Davis was good at threes, right? That is kind but of. But I think the Anthony Davis as an overall defender, always oh, like, We've seen, yeah, like we've seen guys who've kind of don't have the total package that Davis has, but you know, one side or the other. Like Porzingis being this like shot blocking specialist slash knockdown three point shooter slash thirty point per game scorer is it's just it's a weird mix. But it, I mean, it's so much fun to watch. Where is he in your? Where does he rank in like guys? If it's a league pass night and there's fourteen games, like where are you going? Which players are you trying to watch? um oh man Przingis I mean I feel like he's top let's like on a night like tonight there's 10 games right Giannis is on the slate like LeBron Russell Westbrook I I put him 
I see. I always like kind of the younger, like, up and comer guys. Like if LeBron's on League Pass, like that's cool. It's like we've seen this for 15 years. Like, if, same with Russ. Russ is getting there. Russ even Harden. like even Giannis, you know, especially us living in Wisconsin, like watched 80 games of Giannis the last couple of years, and it's like we've kind of seen it all at this point with him. Like Porzingis and Embiid are the two for me where exactly uh, you just don't know what you're going to see because we haven't had enough of a sample with them. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's probably top three like on any given night for me um him and yeah just rookies or, or young guys in general Embiid. i'm interested into aaron fox um ben simmons is incredible um but he's yeah he's really high on that list for me because it when he gets hot like it's he's he's one of the you know he's a a star when you he's one of those eye test guys where he's just making shots like just smooth shots over other seven footers Mm-hmm. Or just basically not even jumping and shooting right over some six foot five guy who had the unfortunate you know task of switching on to him, um, blocking shots at like basically the top of the backboard. Right. Um, yeah, he's he's incredible. The consistency on defense has been impressive so far. We saw that. I mean, he was a two block a game guy last year, um, but it seemed like it came and went. And like this year, yeah, like the chase down block over the weekend that was oh all over God. the place. Like yeah. Porzingis wasn't doing that last year the chase down and then to immediately turn around turn your entire momentum sprint the other way and dunk like those are the type of play i think he's in better shape he's in no, he's noticeably more cut up uh in the arms um it's i mean it's gone about as well as, as possible because it, it wasn't all that long ago that he was almost traded he sounded like was at odds with the organization and given all that context the fact that they're playing fairly well and he's doing what he's doing uh, I mean, if you're a Knicks fan, you probably went into the season with like the lowest possible expectations, and it has to have been a fun start, I would imagine. Yeah, and I I think Knicks fans do have like they have things to be excited about now. Like maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. hasn't Oof. been as um, as has as great as people hoped, but he started off against some really tough matchups. I think that's important to note, and he's actually um, he's been pretty hot over the last few games. He's taking so many threes. Yeah. Um, he over the last i'm looking at how many games this is over the last five games he's taking 9.6 threes a game making them at 35 percent he was the thing was he was so so bad those first four games that it kind of tanked his percentages it is but like last five games he's shooting 47 percent from the field 35 percent from three like that's totally fine right and so and and when you look and he's scoring 21 points a game over the past five games and when you when you look at those four, first four games, he played OKC. So he had Robertson and Paul George on him. Yep. Then he played Detroit. He had Avery Bradley on him. Then he played Boston, Jalen Brown, basically, Marcus Smart, and then Brooklyn, um, which like— That one we're just going to have to t- chalk up to an off night. We can chalk up to an off night, but he was coming off three nights right. where he was just beat. You know, he's, he was getting locked down in defense and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously he popped off against Cleveland, and now he's been on fire. Um, so— I, there's a lot to be excited about there. Frank Nilakina, um looks pretty good. Um, He's very good. The shots don't always go in. And I've I've heard, you know, when scouts were like, well, he's not a great three-point shooter. Well, he's he's not bulked up that much. He might have trouble finishing at the rim. His his shot form looks fine. He his, People are saying he's skinny or, like, doesn't have – he. when I watch him, he looks like an NBA player out there, like, as far as, like, body-wise. So he has really good instincts. Like, if I've – if I was a Knicks fan, I I would be really excited. Yeah. He's got 18 assists over his last three games, and he's in a different situation than these other rookie point guards. The, the Knicks aren't running everything through him when he's on the floor. He's That's not okay. playing 35 minutes a night like Lonzo. You know, he's doing this in a pretty reduced workload. He was hurt to begin the year. Like, who knows if he's even at 100%. Like, the ankle injury was pretty bad. That caused him to miss yeah, only was. two games. I mean, I think they thought he was going to be out longer than that. So who knows where he's at probably had the best game of his career to date against indiana over the weekend i mean 10.7 assists three steals doesn't jump off the the sheet and by any means but hit two threes was four seven like he's he's he seems to know his limitations he has a, an advanced sense of kind of knowing what he's good at for being as young as he is uh and the passing i think is probably better than some people expected at this stage the passing and the defense are the main two things his arms are defensively does, does he have like a seven foot something wingspan i yeah i think it's close six ten six eleven so i mean per 36 minutes 7.8 assists 3.6 steals obviously we're very early depending on what you think about per 36 i there you know but that's seemingly right now his mold as a player solid passer good defender good instincts um and i mean they're I don't want to say, you know, the Knicks are set, but they have pretty much three positions locked up as mm-hmm. far as guys like long term. 
And then, then they have to figure out a center situation, which Willie Hernan Gomez, I mean, I don't want to say he's long-term option, but you know, they have to figure out a center and a small forward. But when you have three guys, you know, yeah. those could just be filled by role players essentially. No, that's the thing. And I think we'd be talking about them with even more, you know, long-term hype if they had Dennis Smith. Right. I mean, I, I, I think Teokina is going to end up being really good, but still, right. I mean, they, they could have had Dennis Smith who admittedly, you know, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire by any means, but yeah, I, I think I was probably underprepared for, for Teokina. Uh, and, you know, we should say he's averaging what four points a game and four assists, you know, yeah. we, we don't want to overhype him, but I think early returns are pretty good on Teokina considering we knew almost nothing about him coming out of, I was going to say coming out of college, coming out of Belgium, I guess, coming out of Europe. Right. And I mean, yeah, he's, he is one of those eye test guys for me. Like if you, yep. if you have any doubts about, about him as a player, find its highlights somewhere or watch just one or two Knicks games. And I think like you'll see why the Knicks drafted him. Um, And so the numbers are always going to be there right away. They don't have to be with Porzingis playing so well to some extent he can just kind of, you know, work through stuff in practice. And then when the game actually comes, it's kind of a lighter version of that. You just pass the ball to Porzingis, um, make sure to just not mess up on pick and rolls um, because if this team, you know, if this really is like a team that continued to basically go 500, they'll probably make the playoffs. And I don't, I don't know. know that they want that. I don't know that they want that uh, either, but getting Przingis in the playoffs. Right. I think they've take it. Yeah, actually. Yeah, you're right. It's the Knicks. And I think they um, want playoff games. As we kind of talked about earlier in the podcast, like the East, who even knows like what's going on in the East at this point, as far as who's actually good. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, what, we say that stuff every year. We do. You know, this time. But I think it's very much wide open. Like, it's not just a cliche to say it's, you know, anybody could be the five seed. Because right now, I mean, maybe not anybody, but, mm. you know, not the Hawks, not the Bulls. Right. Sincerest apologies to both of those <laughs> fine organizations. But there are 13 other teams and that could very well do that. It's weird because I feel I only feel like there's maybe two or three teams in the East that I, we know who they are. Like, we know who the Wizards are. We know who the Raptors are. But the Bucks just made a big deal. The Cavs that's i they're not even the same team as last year the celtics are probably due for some regression they're playing so many rookies but marcus morris coming back that may negate that um but i'm still not confident they're necessarily then going to be the number one seed at the end of the day um you know the hornets are probably just a lock for the five seed at this point but after you know after the four or five seed in the east it's like you're just you know whoever gets hot any given week the pistons are solid but like you know Right. I think New York is looking more like they're in that Indiana, you know, Charlotte, uh, Orlando, maybe when it's all said and done tier, as opposed to the Brooklyn and right. Chicago's and Atlanta tier. Um, okay. Anything else you want to hit on? Of course, we are now at 54 minutes. Um, <laughs> glad we were um, able to keep this one to a half hour. Yeah, right. Um, I guess I'm confused as to why Donovan Mitchell is better than Rodney Hood. That's about it. Views? Um, <laughs> like, is that are you is this a rodney hood problem or donovan mitchell's better than you thought um i think it's both like like donovan mitchell they've entrusted him so much like over the past i i talked about this the other day um with gary and thorn of the rotation he's taking like he's took like 18 shots a game over the past three games with joe johnson out and i think we all assume that those would just always go to rodney hood like the entire like like Rodney Hood was going to score 20 points a game and he's going to have this big breakout year. And Rodney Hood is doing the exact same thing he has always right. done like for the Jazz. He's taking like the same amount of shots he always has, same amount of threes, same amount of points, assists, rebounds are the same. Like, I don't know if this is like he's still trying to get his feet back under him mm-hmm. after I think he was missing. He missed like 20 games with the bone yeah. bruise. Yeah, I wrote a little bit about Mitchell for for an article yesterday and was was kind of looking into him for that. And I mean, is it as simple as like, there just aren't that many players on this jazz roster. And certainly there aren't that many rookies who are just willing to come in and take 20 shots a game. Like, like Mitchell, they lose Gordon Hayward. They badly need someone to create on offense. And I think it was just kind of a perfect scenario where it's like maybe Rodney hood I somehow wasn't ready for that because Donovan Mitchell's taken, you know, 20 plus shots three times already yeah. this season and has only played 30 minutes twice. So I, I think his willingness to be that guy has kind of forced the issue and, just kind of that's just kind of how it's been since he started playing like that 
And I don't, I don't know anyone that saw this coming. Like I, the thing is like, we, I think we, I think there was pretty good consensus that like Donovan Mitchell's a good player. He's good on defense. Right. He, he doesn't make too many mistakes. Like, but I don't think, I mean, who, if, I thought he would be like Jalen Brown was last year for the Celtics exactly. where he was, a, he was a, in the rotation every night. He was maybe going to give you 20 minutes, some, you know, maybe 30 if a guy or two is out, but I didn't envision him, you know, starting a couple games early on and you know, being their offense really when he's on the court. Yeah. And I, I feel like he's earned himself legitimate playing time, like oh, maybe over Joe Johnson at this point. Like it's, yes. how do you, at the, how do you, how does this happen? And then he just goes back to playing like 18 minutes and putting right. up like seven shots. Um, I think we're past that point. I think he's, you know, I think the fact that he's a 13th pick makes it seem like, this is some you know grand accomplishment, and he's playing above his head. But like, I think it was pretty clear from the moment he stepped foot in the summer league that he probably should have gone higher. And I think we'd think differently of him if he was drafted fourth overall and not thirteenth. Right, and um, they are coming off two losses, but the one loss they lost by nine to Toronto. That's fair, and then they got smoked by Houston. That happens. That does. So yeah. you know, and I don't. I don't know how you can say like, well, if they had Joe Johnson, they wouldn't have lost by thirty. Like, I, I think you got to remember the way Houston plays. That losing to Houston by twenty-seven is like losing by fifteen to a normal team. Exactly. You know? Like if they just get they shoot so much, like if they get hot. Yeah. Zuki was popping off at the end of that game. That was actually on TV, I think. Um, but yeah, last five games for Mitchell: twenty points, three and a half rebounds, two assists, one and a half steals, forty-six percent from the floor, forty-four percent from three. He's not just coming in and chucking. I mean, he's making shots. He's getting to the rim. Yeah. Um, if if Ben Simmons, if this if this wasn't Ben Simmons' rookie year, yeah. Donovan Mitchell could be a, like rookie of the year candidate. I think. I think it, it would be him and Tatum right now. Yeah, Tatum has a really strong case. He's been crazy good. I mean, not that that's all that unexpected, but wow. No, I I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think anyone thought that Tatum would be decidedly better than than every other rookie in the class right away. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's he's looked he has looked decidedly better than most yeah. other rookies in the class. Like Josh Jackson's kind of been, you know, eh. yeah. Um, he, I think he's kind of Jonathan Isaac hasn't gotten too many. Opp- it's hard to you right. can't really make a, uh, any sort of real declaration on him yet. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you were if you're the Nuggets, would you rather have Trey Lyles and Tyler Lydon, or would you rather have Donovan Mitchell? <laughs> Is this a uh, see this feels like a um, like sarcastic? Yes. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, the Mitchell pick was traded for Lyles. It's, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Can you imagine? I mean, I, my Lord. But see, that was why? a bad idea at the time. And it's like, by the day, it, it looks worse and worse. And I, I get that they were like, well, you know, maybe we have too many guards. We have Will Barton and Moutier and, and Murray and Harris. But to some extent, like the best player available thing isn't just something the 76ers have to do. Right. Um, especially when your point guard situation is so, like, just so up in the air like adding someone to that mix isn't necessarily like in your head if you're that organization you might think like wow drafting Donovan Mitchell is really going to complicate this entire situation or maybe it would make it incredibly simple but but I don't think anybody was like Donovan Mitchell point guard you know I think he's a shooting guard first who can play point guard he's played he's it's about it's been about 60 40 uh, in terms of shooting guard versus point guard minutes for him so far but the do the Nuggets need a, a point guard that's the thing though do the Nuggets need like a true point guard or do they need like a shooting guard who can handle the ball once they in a need while? someone who can shoot the ball and and as you've said before like that's why they want jamal murray to take this job because on in theory he can shoot but the numbers say he really can't shoot yeah. so yeah i mean i think the nuggets i think will still be fine um i thought they would be a, a team that would kind of pick up where they left off at the end of last season that necessarily hasn't been the case you know they're five and five they'll, they'll be all right long term but um uh, do we want to talk about the Timberwolves? Yeah, let's talk about the Timberwolves real quickly. Okay, we'll actually we'll actually keep this short. Well, so they've won. <laughs> we will. Maybe. Well, it's been five straight wins now. They beat OKC. They beat Miami. They beat the Pelicans. They beat Dallas, uh, and then they blew out Charlotte uh, over the weekend. Are the Timberwolves back? <laughs> I would I would like to think so. Um, I mean, their their starting five is. I don't think there's any doubts about how good their starting five is. Um, and I, I think we kind of talked about them on a podcast before where I I just felt like the, their main problem is going to be defensively, especially off the bench. 
But, you know, it's interesting because Jimmy Butler um, is kind of taking a backseat to Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. And Jeff Teague has been playing better as of late, which is good. Um, but I... This is a t- I I don't you know they're they're a playoff team still in my eyes like I I don't I I feel like um they have too much potential just overall to not continue playing at at least you know I mean they're seven and three and I think I in our preseason roundtable we were trying to predict the top five or six teams in the West and I can't remember if I put Minnesota over at OKC but to me those are the two teams that would be essentially battling it out for a mm-hmm. similar record in the top five of the of the west and right now looks like minnesota yep just because they're more balanced um is is looking like the better team yeah I, minnesota denver and okc were the three for me that i think yeah and i think at the end of the year they'll probably still be there memphis mm-hmm. we maybe didn't give enough credit to the clippers have looked I mean, they've kind of been an inverse, I guess, with the T-Wolves. Started really well and have struggled since. Uh, but the West is going to be a lot of fun. And and I think we should keep in mind, the T-Wolves have only lost one game with Jimmy Butler in the lineup. I believe they're 7-1. and one That's important to know. When he's healthy, uh, which really shouldn't come as all that much of a surprise. Okay, that'll do it for us. Uh, we almost kept this under an hour. Uh, it's going to come out to probably like an hour and three minutes. Uh, we'll, we'll but as always, DJ. yeah, it was, a, it was a valiant effort by us. Only missed the original, uh, you know time target by about 33 minutes so when you look at it that way maybe not so much but as always we're sponsored by fanduel fanduel.com slash rw get your free six months rotowire subscription with that uh, and also get that deposit from fanduel that we mentioned earlier 